Blog Talk Radio. Yo, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about this. Radio. I'm your host, Thomas Dwayne Smith, 
Uh, Leticia will be calling in from location in Phoenix, Arizona in a little bit. But in the meantime, we are going to have a phenomenal show. So with no further ado, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 says, I record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed might be. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord, once again, I'm thankful for the opportunity to host another episode of Pro-Life Friday Radio, Lord. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to protect Leticia and her family out in Phoenix, Lord God. Give them an enjoyful, joyful and a restful trip with their family, Lord God, I ask you to just touch them and continue to be with them. Lord, I thank you for our guests tonight. I thank you for my listeners. I see Vincent. I know my friend Rosalind is listening in. And I thank you for our guests tonight, Lord God. Thank you for the opportunity to once again, be a voice for the defenseless. And a defender for those post-abortive mobs who are seeking healing from you. In the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. been an interesting week for me. I have a t-shirt that I'm wearing right now and it said and it says on the front black people against abortion and um on the back it has all the statistics of how our community, the black community, has been decimated by abortion. But you know, I can't be, I can't help but be struck by the fact that when it comes to the issue of abortion, by nature, black people are not pro-choice. But percentage-wise, we are getting 40% of the abortions, and we're only 12% of the population. So that is a statistical anomaly. Let me repeat that, statistical anomaly. So I'm at the Plasma Center on Wednesday, have my shirt on, and one of the workers there asked me this question. What does that mean, black people against abortion? I said to her, it means exactly what it says, black people against abortion. Well, being... She was a former abortion clinic worker. She proceeds to get all huffy and puffy with me and uh, tell me uh, more black people are murdered than black babies that are aborted. I need to look up my statistics. Folks, keep in mind that she gets her statistics 
from the Allen Guttmacher Institute, which is the research arm of Planned Parenthood. Yes, you heard me correctly. That's the research arm of Planned Parenthood. Another brother. This was sister. That's another brother, bus driver. Told him what it is that I did. He's, you know, he trying to convince me that I needed to have a relationship with someone because, well, a girlfriend because every time he's seen me, I was always alone. And for whatever reason, he did not seem to understand the fact that I told him. I said, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing something at this point in my life. And so... He proceeds to tell me that, you know, wow, what you're doing is all fine and good. You need to have someone in your life. And, you know, it was really crazy. Now, keep in mind, this is somebody that was 13, just about 13 years younger than me. I think he's about 26, about to turn 39. I know a lot more than people give me credit for. So we get to talk about talking about the abortion issue. And I told him, I said, you need to Google the Negro Project. I told him what it was, how Margaret Sanger paid black preachers to push her birth control agenda. Now, just to let you know how uninformed our community is when it comes to abortion, it's like we're uninformed on everything else, basically. He proceeds to tell me that no way that was possible because in 1939, black people were still in slavery. Now, maybe I'd give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he thought I said 1839, but I said 1939. And so, anyway, that's been my that's been my week. I do not get the sheer ignorance of our community when it comes to the abortion issue. We are being targeted unmercifully. But yet and still, there are those of us who defend the practice. Like somehow it's beneficial to our community. And yes, Vincent, ignorance is bliss. Folks. And I'm speaking directly to any black people who are listening, especially liberals. Apparently, you don't like living too much because you are supporting the systematic destruction of your own community. Jamu Green, black woman. Fox News contributor, staunch pro-choice, pro, I shouldn't say pro-choice because they're not pro-choice, they're pro-death. Once a woman enters an abortion clinic, she's not given any other option. Folks, that's a lie. And anyone that says that it's not, they need to pull their heads out of the sand, for real. We're coming up on our first break. I'm going to play 
opening trailer for you. Give you something to think about. We had a whole plan that sold abortions, and it was called sex education. Break down their natural modesty, separate them from their parents and their values, and become the sex expert in their life so they turn to us. When we would give them a low-dose birth control pill they would get pregnant on or a defective condom. Our goal was three to five abortions from every girl between the ages of 13 and 18 multitudes of people that have been hurt by abortion. It's just unfathomable. That abortion is really, to me, the ultimate exploitation of women. It is so shameful and secretive that many women don't tell anybody that they've had an abortion. They won't say anything for 20, 30, 40, 55 years. They're so traumatized with silence. U.S. Senate report states Physicians, biologists, and other scientists agree that conception marks the beginning of the life of a human being, a being that is alive and is a member of the human species. There is an overwhelming agreement on this point in countless medical, biological, and scientific writings. Planned Parenthood is expanding now. They're building gigantic abortion clinics in anticipation of socialized medicine. There's a lot of money involved. We never would take personal checks. We always encourage the ladies to bring cash. Why is that? So, a lot, you don't have to report cash, friend. When you're fighting for your life, you need to know what you're fighting for. And if what you're fighting for is life, how do you destroy a life in an effort to fight that fight? fighting so hard to save myself that I'll kill someone else to get that. I recognized I'd been involved in the death of 35,000 babies. And the truth has really come out about what abortion does to women, let alone the unborn baby, our dead babies. It will be over. And there you have it. That was a clip from the DVD Blood Money, hosted by Dr. Alveda King. You heard several of our guests that we have interviewed, Dr. King, Carol Everett. Well, those were the two main people. But folks, what it boils down to is this. Enough is enough. And for those of us who are a part of the black community, you know what? We have to put our foot down and say, you know, we're fighting to save our community. We don't have time to try to appease you because your feelings got hurt because you did not you did not like the way we put it. Well, sometimes when a fire is raging out of control, you don't have time to say, "Well, there is a fire. You all need to Leave in orderly fashion. No. You yell, fire, get out now. That's what you do. So many in our community. And here's the real travesty. Our pastors can come all out in an uproar over Trayvon Martin, 
wearing hoodie. Where the hoodies for the 300,000 plus black babies that are aborted every year? Where their hoodies? Oh, yeah, that's right. There was no hoodies for the baby. So, folks, what it boils down to is this. If you didn't care for your baby in the womb, you probably don't care when they're growing up. Anyway, um, so maybe, what do you think? We should have hoodies with 300,000 little images of babies on them. That'd be a big, that'd make a big quilt. I'm being facetious at the moment, but you all get my point. We have reached epidemic, genocidal condition. And if we do not, and I mean more of us, you want to talk about blatantly racist. That's what abortion is. But yet and still, we can get up, get up in our feelings over a clown doing something that he's done for the last 30 years, but we can't even speak out on behalf of our children, the women who suffer in silence. There's hundreds in hundreds of thousands of black women who have aborted, who are suffering in silence. Why? Because they're afraid that they are going to be condemned. And on Pro-Life Friday's radio, one thing we do not do is condemn women who have had abortion. Why? Because it defeats the purpose of what we're about. But we do keep it real. We don't sugarcoat. We don't sugarcoat. And let me say it again. We don't sugarcoat the mess. Now, Douglas Carpet is going to be the subject of our interview. And there's some interesting dynamics that's going on. Wow. Anyway, I'm just sitting here thinking about the sickness of what that man did. How do you, how do you do what? That man did, and 
still. Yeah. Here's a couple of clips. Most of the time, um, we would see him where the fetus would come completely out, and of course, the fetus would still be alive because it was still moving. And you could see, of course, you could see the stomach breathing, and um, that's when he would do his. Um, he would snip the spine, as they're saying that um, <coughs> this doctor did, and of course, the soft spot was one of the spots that he would um, uh, take the one of the forceps or the what is it called? Um, the dilators and stick it down the soft spot of the fetus's head. When you saw this happen? Oh yes. Every I think every morning I saw several on several occasions. If we had um if we had twenty something patients, of course maybe ten or twelve or thirteen or fifteen patients would be large procedures and out of those large procedures I'm pretty sure I was seeing at least three to four um fetus that were completely delivered in some way uh, or another. You see the baby alive. Yes, sir. And him him kill that baby outside the womb. Yes, sir. And this would be done by jamming some sort of instrument into the either that or or or, soft spot. or, or um twitch actually twisting the head off the neck. Kind of with his own bare hands. And you saw that happen? Yes, sir. Mhm. So he sometimes would twist the head off the neck. Sometimes he would go through the stomach as well. Sometimes he would do what? He would like force it through the stomach. The the instrument, mm -hmm. the for the is it beer? And like twist it. Yeah. And you Another saw that? Mhm. Mm Anything that he can get to is the fastest. Like she said, the umbilical. He's probably perforating the umbilical cord. Um, I normally saw either the snipping of the spine or the introduction of the instrument in the soft spot of the fetus normally, or twisting of the neck. I remember he would put like his finger. Yeah, or his finger. He'd take his finger and then through the throat. Yeah. And there you have it. You just heard um, two clips from an undercover interview. It was done by our our next guest, his organization, Life Dynamics. But let me give you let me give you a little bit of background on Mark Crutcher. I would say it's probably been about five years or so now when when he conceived the idea of Maaka 21, and he reached out to many phenomenal networks, one of the biggest contributors to the Maaka 21 documentary was Learn. Dr. Johnny Hunter, Pastor Childress, This is a man who, because of his love for the Lord and his love for children, people, period, that's why he's doing what he's doing. So Pro-Life Friday Radio, please join me in welcoming Mark back to the show. Mark, how are you doing, sir? I am just fine, sir. How are you? I am, to be honest with you, I am very irritated. Um, and the reason why is because I was talking to my friend Judah, who lives in Houston, and I actually asked, asked her about 
what was going on. In fact, I couldn't even remember the guy's name. I, I thought it was a Carhartt guy. And she said, no, Douglas Carpin. And so I asked her what was going on with that. And basically she said, you know, it has been kind of brushed aside. And so thus we wanted to reach out to you and do a follow-up to find out what are you hearing, what if any legal action is being pursued. So, Well, first of all, you have to understand something. When um, when the police are doing a criminal investigation, and especially in a, in a case where you're looking at a homicide investigation where people could be potentially charged with murder, um, they don't they don't come out here and share everything that they're doing. And these things sometimes take a long time. Now, and I've been pushing people to be patient and give the police a chance to to do whatever it is they're going to do. Now, having said that, um, I can tell you that the I, I think, and I, I think it's pretty well documented, the Houston Police Department has a long history of corruption and mismanagement and incompetence. Um, in addition to that, the police department is under the direct authority of the mayor's office, and the mayor of Houston is an open lesbian whose uh, her, her girlfriend, her wife, or whatever they claim she concubine, whatever she is, um, is a former board member of the Planned Parenthood facility in Houston and is a staunch pro-abort. So we have to be vigilant um, about this situation. But we cannot, on the other hand, run out here and assume that because we haven't heard anything that nothing's going on. Now, I can tell you that behind the scenes there are people in the Texas legislature that are riding herd over this. And there is going to come a point. I talked to one of these guys yesterday, and I I said, look, there's going to come a point at which if nothing is done, then we can logically assume at that point, that nothing is going to be done. But I don't believe we're to that point yet. I right. believe we have okay. to give, I think we have to give the process a chance to work its way out. Uh, think about this. You could see tonight, let's say, on the news, um, that the police have arrested a man for murdering his wife. And you hear the story, and it says, uh, that when they they got a call, 911 call, they got there. The guy was there, had a gun in his hand. The woman was dead. A couple of the people in the room say, "Yeah, he shot her." And so it's pretty obvious what had happened. It might be a month or six weeks before he's indicted, even with all of that going on, because the police and the district attorney's offices and so forth have to make sure, especially in a in a homicide investigation, that all the T's are crossed and all the I's are dotted. Because if you don't, you could have a situation where you you mess up the investigation or you mess up the indictment or whatever, and somebody who's innocent, I mean who's guilty, goes free because of the haste that you worked in and didn't do your due diligence. So I'm the first person to be suspicious of the Houston Police Department, believe me. But I'm just saying we need to give the process a chance to work its way out. That's a good point. The, the one thing that um, there's some speculation and um, there, you know, like with Kermit Gosnell, one thing that was pointed out um, through some from some members that I talked to of the National Black Pro-Life Coalition was that at the time that Kermit Gosnell's situation, that story broke there were actually four other situations, same same exact scenario, all black abortionists, but they it was never brought into the news media. And as far as as far as they know, these individuals are still practicing abortionists. And my my question to you, Mark, because I know with my awful 21, you all down there, you are doing your part. But 
why why is the pro life movement afraid to expose the racist aspect of Planned Parenthood as a whole? Because I know you all you're one of few organizations that really touch that subject. Where does the fear stem from? Could you answer that for me? Well, yeah, I mean what you have to understand is and as you well know the first off, the American news media is not on our side of this issue, on the abortion issue, yeah. right? And if we start doing, there, I, I have to say, I believe me, I've been, I've been accused of this myself. We did, a, we did the Mafia Twenty One DVD to expose the racism of the abortion industry, and one of the results of that has been that I've been accused of being a racist, and it's. It's that sort of thing that frightens people off the pond. It shouldn't. You know, Scripture tells us we're not we're not given to a spirit of fear, right? Right, exactly. But that sounds that sounds good, but people don't always live by that. And so, right. I think that one of the things that happens is that first off, a lot of people in the pro life movement don't understand the issue of racism and how it's tied to the abortion issue. Um. And so they're afraid to say anything because they're afraid they'll they'll look foolish if they get caught saying something that they don't they can't back up. Um, so they just leave it alone. And you know, if you think about it for a minute, when you somebody when I told somebody what I was going to do with Mafia 21, they said, "So let's see, you're going to make a DVD that combines two of the hot blood hot hot button issues in our culture, abortion and race, and you're going to put them in the same DVD." And the guy said, "What do you have a death wish? You know, you're you're going to be attacked from all corners on this deal." He said, "Why don't you just go ahead and include gun control and the death penalty in the thing and get it and be done with it?" Um, but and and there's some there's some wisdom in that, and I think most people, the ones who are not scared of the abortion issue, are scared of the race issue. You know, and it's kind of like if uh, we've seen ample evidence of this since Barack Obama's been president. If right. you come out. And you and you challenge anything Barack Obama does or says, um, you're going to be accused of being a racist. That's just reality. Yep. Oh wow! Here's my follow-up. But it, I, that shouldn't keep you from that shouldn't keep you from challenging the the policies. You just have to you just have to recognize that that's what's going to happen when you do it. Exactly. This is what. Um, in a few meetings that I've been going to, um, Mark, and as you know, there's been a whole big hubbub about, you know, now the GOP is reaching out to minorities, you know, basically the $10 million outreach. But right. in a conversation that I had with our state um, executive director of our state GOP today, I told him, I said, um, Really, our party should not be pandering to for the minority vote because here's the reason why. If you are pandering, what you are saying to your base is that you no longer believe in the message of the platform, which if we articulate it the right way, first of all, we need to be unified and not divided along, okay, well, black conservatives, well, only the black conservatives can go into the black community. No, we need to go as a collective unified force. That's what you did with Maafa 21. You gather, you gather a phenomenal cast of people, black, white, across the board, and you all had one significant agenda, and you accomplished it. And you did it because you were unified. And until we, not only as conservatives, but even in a pro-life movement, when I, I read a Gallup poll um, that says only 20% of those individuals professing to be pro-life are pro-life without exception. And I'm like, that kind of broke my heart because, you know, that's a whole nother dynamic thing. But at the end, though, Mark, 
It's about the systematic destruction and slaughter of an entire people group because if the American populace don't think that they're going to go on to the next group once they finish accomplishing the destruction of the black community, they have another thing coming. And this is why we have to stop this now. Well, yeah, and and they will go after other groups. They're already going after the Hispanics, and they're going after them uh, full force right now. Um, So, yeah, they will go after other groups. But we must not forget, too, that even if you said they're not going to go after other groups, it doesn't matter. They shouldn't be going after the group they're going after right now. Right, exactly. Even if there there was some way we could guarantee that they'll never go after anybody other than the black community – that we ought to stop them from going after the black community anyway. Amen. That's absolutely right. And and Mark, I want you I want you to speak on something because I I had really two funny situations this week. Um, I have my T-shirt that I'm wearing right now that says "Black People Against Abortion," and it's a it's a ministry organization out of Illinois. And um, so I had one young lady uh, where I was at the Plasma Center who confronted me and said, uh, what's your shirt mean, Um, black people against abortion? And um, I said, exactly what is that? And she proceeds to tell me that more black people are murdered by violence by abortion, and then I'm sorry for laughing, but then she tells me I need to check my statistics. Her being a former abortion clinic worker, her her statistics came from the Allen Guttmacher Institute, when we all know what that place is. And um, so have you ran into, in the promoting of MAFA 21, have you ran into a lot of ignorance in the black community in terms of just the just the sheer destruction of abortion on our community? Because I'm oh, finding that. I've absolutely seen that. But but let me let me posit something here for you regarding the particular conversation you just told me about. That was not a matter of ignorance. That was a matter of dishonesty. That woman was lying to you. She knew better. Yes. Now, you, you might go into the general rank-and-file African-American community and find a lot of people have no clue that the American abortion industry kills more African-Americans in four days than the Klan killed in 150 years. They may not know that, even though it's an absolute, solid gold, provable fact. So, you know... The the numbers are staggering when you look at it. Right. And when you tell me that this woman is a former employee of an abortion clinic, then I know for a fact that she was not misunderstood. She was not mistaken. She was lying. She knows right. good and well that what we're saying is true. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I almost laughed at her. I didn't, you know, because you you could I could see her getting all puffy, so I just kind of, you know, I kind of let it go, and I kind of smirked at her, but it's one of those things, because she didn't, she didn't know that I actually started, I started researching this stuff back in 2006, I think around the same time you guys started working on my Alpha 21, and incidentally, yeah. I, <laughs> I googled the Negro Project. That's how I first found out about the about the uh, abortion rates in in the black community, and I did it as a research paper in a all white class, a liberal college. You should have seen the looks on those people's faces. That class was so quiet you could hear a pin drop. <laughs> I mean, and that and that's how that's actually how I got started in this fight. I mean, I right. jumped in. I jumped in head first, <laughs> but uh, so what do we do? How do we how do we deal with that? Because I think 
you know, our message is on point, but, you know, we hear that, okay, you need to say it nicely, but we haven't been coming mean. But at some point when the building is on fire, you can't be passive in your warning. So how do we turn up the alarm, if you will? I think we have to start calling these people out. And, you know, I've I've had to do that many times on, on talk shows that I've been on since my offer came out where uh, people from the other side were on there, and, and sometimes they lie through their teeth. And you're right about one of the problems that we have in the pro-life community is that we, we play too nice. Um, un- unfortunately, I'm not, I'm not um, a possessor of that particular gene. So when they, when they lie... And when they lie, instead of saying to them or to saying to the audience that this person is mistaken, I will say this person is lying through their teeth. They know better. That they know that what they're saying is untrue, so therefore they're lying. It's not a mistake. Um, if you add up a column of figures and you happen to make an error and come up with the wrong answer, that's a mistake. But if well, you add two and two and tell me that the answer is five, when you know good and well that it's not, but you you tell me the answer is five because you have an agenda and five being the answer, then that's not a mistake. That's a lie. And right. that's what you're that's what you're encountering when you encounter a woman like what you're talking about, and some of these people that I've had call in to me um, on these talk shows. Uh, right. So, you know, it's it's one of those it's one of those things where, like you said. We in the pro-life movement, we have to stop being passive. Now, we don't have to talk about hell, Satan, and all that stuff, because that, that was just plain stupid. I, that, you know, there was just no in it, ins and buts about it. That was just nuts. But we cannot be, um, we can't be nice any longer expecting, you know, just expecting that they're going to, acquiesce to what we're doing because suddenly uh, we're nice because it hasn't worked. It has never worked. It seems like when we try to be respectful, they get worse. Have you encountered that? Oh, absolutely. That's absolutely true. And because they have a history of dealing with what I call turn-the-other-cheek Christians who, who, you know, when you say, well, we're told to be gentle as doves, well, in that same part of the scripture, it says you're to be gentle as doves and wise as serpents. Why do we always forget the wise as serpents part, and we focus in on the gentle as doves? So, right. you know, if you're if you're going to take that that course, then you got to take the whole part of it, not just not just the part that makes you feel better. Um, but yeah, we have to be more aggressive. And if you can't be aggressive in the defense of the unborn children who are being slaughtered in this country at the rate of 3,500 a day. If you can't be aggressive in their defense, then I don't know what you'd be aggressive in. Exactly. That's and, you know, I, a, I often tell people, I, I have people criticize me all the time to say, by saying that I'm too aggressive and I'm too assertive and, and, I'm not, and, I don't, and I'm not nice and deferential and collegial with these people. And I always ask them the same thing. I said, I want you to imagine a scenario. And, I, and I'll ask you this. Let's say that uh, someone had kidnapped you, and they have you in a warehouse somewhere, and you're tied up. Nobody can hear you scream. Nobody knows you're there. Uh, Nobody's going to come to your rescue. Um, And they have you all bound up, and they tell you, well, at at 9 o'clock in the morning, we've got an an appointment for you. And somebody's going to come into this room, and they're going to start pulling your arms and legs off. And... um, they're not going to kill you right away. We don't know exactly when you will die, but eventually you'll die. But they're going to pull your arms and legs off one at a time, and uh, they're going to crush your skull with a giant pair of forceps, and they're going to crush your chest. And eventually you will die, but it will be very painful between now and then. Um, and that's going to happen at 9 o'clock in the morning. Now I want you right. to assume, I want you to to speculate that the only people out there in the culture that were trying to stop this, that were trying to rescue you, were the, were the pro-lifers. Right. How aggressive do you want them to be in the defense of your life? And I think the vast majority of people would say, 
you know, move heaven and earth, do what you have to do to defend my life. Well, exactly. the scenario I just described for you is the scenario that faces 3,500 babies every morning. Every morning. 3,500 of them are going to have their arms and legs ripped off, their chest crushed, their heads crushed, and then they're going to be thrown into a dumpster to be eaten by rats, or they're going to be flushed down a sewer system, ground up in the garbage disposal. Now, that's the situation wow. that 3,500 babies wake up to every morning in this country. Are we supposed to play nice now to save them? Wow. You know what, Mark? You put that You put that in a – you could not have put that any better. And um, that's – folks, that's the truth. And it's like you've heard me say before, sometimes – we have to be brutally honest. You, If you really love someone, you tell them the truth. You know, a lot of times Christians will say, well, we got to pray for their souls. Okay, we can pray for their souls, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that we don't tell them the, brutus, the brutally honest truth. And the fact right. that you are slaughtering babies, you're destroying an aspect of God himself, folks. And unless you repent, you got a problem. Because, uh, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't the scripture say where Jesus was talking and the um, children were trying to run up to him and the disciples were stopping him and Jesus said, suffer not these children to come unto me. In other words, he rebuked the disciples for trying to stop the kids from coming to him. Well, so, it, it goes on that. If uh, if you look in Scripture, if you look throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament, God was always magnanimous. He was always forgiving. He was always loving and kind and willing to look the other way at the things that, that we as humans do, except in one area. That is when you shed the blood of children, when you harm children. He said, you harm one of these little ones, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and be dropped into the deepest part of the ocean. Now, what was he saying? He was saying, you don't want to deal with me if you harm these children. Amen. That's what he was saying. You don't want to face me. That's where we are as a nation. Fortunately, there are, there are organizations like yours, Life Dynamics, Learn, many, many others, Pro-Life Fridays Radio, you know, that we have boots on the ground. And when I say boots on the ground, it's, it's these organizations that are actually in the trenches. And so, you know, these are also the organizations that is soil, that's good soil, worthy of sowing a seed. Now, um, you know, so just think about that. Um, Mark, I know um, I'm going to let you get your weekend started, your three-day weekend with your family, but thank you for once again for coming and giving us an update, and also thank you for, you know, just kind of engaging in the conversation about, you know, about the black community because as someone yourself who has worked with people across the board in putting together the MAFA 21 project, you've gained such a phenomenal perspective. And, And I appreciate that about you. And the biggest thing that I I absolutely positively appreciate you, about you is the fact that because of your love for Lord the Lord Jesus Christ, it allowed you to take on a project where your love for those babies saw no color, and I appreciate that about you, Mark. Well, I thank I thank you for that. That's very nice of you to say. 
You're very welcome. Sir, you have a good holiday weekend, and we will talk again soon. You do the same. I look forward to hearing back from you. All right. Thanks, Mark. Bye-bye, sir. Bye-bye. That was Mark Crutcher of Life Dynamics. Very, very phenomenal man. But, folks, like he said, at some point when someone's life, like he presented the scenario to us, if our life is on the line, what are we going to do? Do we want people talking about, oh, don't kill them, don't kill them? Or are we going to want someone aggressively defending us, trying to save us? And that is the approach that we must take in the pro-life movement. We don't have to be mean and vicious and spew vitriol like like the other side does, but we can be brutally honest to the point that they start getting a point. Because, see, remember one thing. They're not impervious to the truth. And if we start exposing them and calling them what they are, racist, they will doubt themselves. And that's what we got to do. We have the truth on our side. We okay, I'm back now. Sorry about that. Uh, technical difficulties with my show crashing and all that stuff. I apologize for that, please. Anyway, uh if anyone has any comments, press 1 on the board, or you can call in 760-542-3907. That's 760-542-3907. Uh, while I wait for some callers, I am going to try to play my Maasa 21 clip again. Here we go. Society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit from continuing their kind. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. I do not join in the belief that the African is our equal in brain or in heart. We are paying for and even submitting to the dictates of an ever-increasing, unceasingly spawning class of human beings who never should have been born at all. The laws of nature require the obliteration of the unfit. The best way to hate a nigger is to hate him before he is born. American eugenicists were routinely praising Hitler and holding up the Nazi eugenics program as a model for the United States to copy. Non-white races must be excluded from America. The red and black races, if left to themselves, revert to a savage or semi-savage state in a short time. The only way possible of decreasing Negro population is by means of controlling fertility. Birth control facilities could be extended relatively more to Negroes than to whites, since Negroes are more concentrated in the lower income and education classes. We hope that the restraint of population growth can come about through voluntary means. But if it does not, involuntary methods will be used. There should be national sterilization for certain dysgenic types of our population who are being encouraged to breed and would die out for the government not feeding them. If this movement continues, we soon may be accused of fighting poverty by eliminating the poor and overcoming hunger by removing the hungry. For all their failures, what the eugenics movement had accomplished was to lay the foundation for the next phase of their plan. And this is where they would find the success 
that they had been chasing for over 100 years. And welcome back to Pro-Life Friday's radio. I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. The interview went well, but then we having technical difficulties the message. Um, I want to say thank you to my friend Celeste who was listening on the line. Uh, God bless you. Um, to my friend Roslyn, uh, Rockchild Jayhawk, and uh, Jermaine, Vincent E. Brown, um, and all the others who will be listening in the archives. I ask for your forgiveness no difficulties. So, next week, here's a very special song for those women who may be listening who are post.
Don't be angry if I wash his feet with my tears and dry them. 